gentlemen yes it is time for the pig pen and here he is i don't know what made me my pig himself i don't know what made me actually i do think of this story that i have never told on the air i think it was cheap trick was on the concert calendar or something yeah Mm -hmm. last week and i told you guys i go man one of these days i'll tell you about the time that I went to Cheap Trick and ran out of gas. There's so much to this story. So in 1987, the triple bill of, I think it was Cheap Trick, Poison, and Rat. Oh, dear God. Wasn't Aerosmith. Came to Reunion Arena. It was about 19 years old. Had a girlfriend that went to Berkner High School. She was a senior. Mm-hmm. And we got the big plans to, let's go to this show. Got tickets. Broke, you know how you are at nineteen. Yeah, completely broke. And I had just acquired a certain car. Now I was known for driving the five hundred dollar car, one that an old beater that you would drive for six months to a year, and if you got that out of it, then it was worth it because it was better than a two or three hundred dollar car payment every month. And then you just you know leave it somewhere, or trade it in, or sell it, or whatever for a few bucks. Well, I did you ever leave a car somewhere? I don't know if I have time to get to this, but this car was left somewhere. I acquired for free that year a 1972 four-door Pontiac Le Mans. <laughs> this thing had like a 450 cubic inch engine. It got about six miles per gallon. Ugh. It was the most unreliable hunk of crap that you could ever imagine in your life. <laughs> but it was free. And it was free. And my best friend at the time, Dan, who was a fantastic artist, did this incredibly intricate, cool, spray-painted skull and crossbones on the hood of the car with blue and black flames that went down all the way down each side of the car. And you allowed him to do that? I encouraged it. I asked him to do it. You're driving around a car that begs to be pulled over. Pretty much. And I probably had like a pot leaf sticker in the back <laughs> glass as well. God. So I pick up my lady friend and we drive down to Reunion Arena to go see Cheap Trick, Rat, and Poison. We roll up into, you remember the old Reunion reunion Arena parking garage where you had to go up this kind of a two-lane ramp and it would filter in to the to the, to the, the actual where you parked yeah. and then mm-hmm. you'd take an elevator down or stairs down and then you'd access the arena itself. Mm-hmm. We got all the way to the top of that ramp to where you're about to turn in and they made it like two lanes so, you know, Two lanes of traffic could go in, and then when the concert would be over, those would serve as exit ramps. Get all the way to the top where it's about to bend. The Le Mans runs out of gas. Oh, this wasn't even mechanical? You just didn't have any gas? Or so I thought. Okay. It died. It completely died, and it wouldn't start. And I didn't have a sending unit in the thing, so the gas gauge didn't work. (laughs) So you just always kind of guessed when you needed gas. So what do I do? I won't turn over. I, I give up. I guess, well, I guess it just ran out of gas. With your girlfriend. With my girlfriend in the summer at night, 
and we just say, you know what? I'm leaving it here. There's nothing I can do. Meanwhile, there are two lanes of traffic now having to commit to one lane to get into the concert. Uh, We're walking against traffic, leaving the Pontiac Le Mans with its flashers on, sitting there (laughs) clogging up the entire concert's traffic that are trying to access that garage. And you didn't care? I figured, well, what's the word? This car didn't cost me anything. If it gets stolen or gets towed, I'll just get a ride home from somebody. I'm sure I'll run into somebody that I'll know at this concert and just get a ride home. So I'm like, you know, forget it. But, man, the the middle fingers and and curses that we're getting as we're walking. And this is, like, supposed to be a nice date. What are you wearing? Do you remember? Probably the same thing I'm wearing now. (laughs) Probably looked exactly the same. So anyway, Not the F pants? No. So we walk down and we find some friends tailgating and whatnot, what you would often do before shows back then, and proceed to drink some punch because we're underage. Yeah. You know, you can't buy drinks inside. So we drink a ton of this crap. Punch. Or something. I don't know. Just whatever somebody had. Right. Something with Everclear or vodka in it. Right. And I wasn't a big drinker, but I was that night. And I commenced to go into the show sitting with my beautiful girlfriend, Katie. And I'm watching Poison, and they suck. And I'm, my main—I wanted to see Rat. Okay, of they course. were the second band, and then Cheap Trick headlined. I didn't really care much about them, and I start feeling real bad because not only did I drink about a half a gallon of vodka in the parking lot, I smoked about three hits off a joint that a guy handed oh, me when we found God. our seats. Uh oh! And I start spinning. I feel queasy. I feel like I'm going to pass out, but I feel like I'm going to throw up. And she's trying to help me. I end up going out into the concourse and vomiting vodka punch <laughs> into a water fountain. Oh. I couldn't make it to the bathroom. I was so sick. <sighs> when you got to go with your car. Uh-huh. Skull and crossbones and blue flames. Yes. Sitting there, sitting there, blocking, blocking a parking entrance. Yes, to Reunion Arena. It doesn't end there. I go back, and I'm feeling so bad that I sit down in one of the chairs, and I sleep all through <laughs> Rat. <laughs> I wake up at the beginning of Cheap Trick. She's like, can we just go? Because we didn't really care about Cheap Trick anyway, yeah. so I missed the show that I wanted to see. So I'm like, yeah. And by that time, I'd, you know, I'd slept for like an hour. Yeah, I felt, you felt pretty, pretty good. I felt really good. Yeah. I'd sobered up. I didn't feel sick in my stomach anymore. I was kind of hungry. Could have gone for something to eat. It's like, well, let's go figure something out. I mean, let's go see if... Uh, I, I was just curious. I wanted to see if the car was still there. We walk back out there. So the concert's not over. So there's no traffic. People are sticking around. Right. And I'll be damned if we don't walk. And I look around and I look up that street. And there's that damn Lamont sitting there. Nobody towed it with the flashers on. And I'm thinking, I mean, let's give it a shot. We walk all the way up there. I get in the car. She gets in. I turn the key. It started right up. You were kidding. No. I don't know what happened, but it started right up. We turned around, went all the way back to Richardson where I lived at the time. And she, I don't think she talked to me for like two weeks. <laughs> But that same car, and I'll wrap this up because I could do a whole segment on terrible cars that I've owned. I used that car to deliver pizzas, which I probably ended up owing money 
It cost me money because the gas was the mileage was so terrible. But one time I drove up in front of a, a customer's house, brought them their pizza, came back, and the engine was on fire. <laughs> So I popped the hood and I'm running up, grabbing dirt out of their flower beds to throw on the carburetor to put the fire out. And it did. Okay. So I walk to a payphone, call somebody to come get me. I leave the car in front of their house, go back to the store, whatever, get a ride home. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to probably should go check on that car. And it had dirt all on the carburetor, everything went back, got in, said, what the hell started right up. <laughs> it caught on fire two more times after that. I finally ditched that car because the transmission went out and it only had one gear and reverse and I was driving it to work and the and the gear the forward gear finally dropped so I drove it backwards for about a 3 quarters of a mile through a neighborhood What's wrong with you and left it in front of somebody's house You're backing up 3 quarters of a mile uh, through a neighborhood Yeah through a neighborhood just so I could get as close as possible to work without having to get back on Beltline going backwards Did it ever catch on fire while you were driving or was it always stationary <laughs> It was cuz always leave the car running on pizza runs and for yeah, some reason it, it caught on fire like two more times It's like the spinal tap drummer you know Yes <laughs> it just would spontaneously combust <laughs> So I finally left it at somebody's house, and I never saw it again. Poked it with a stick and went home. Pretty much. Walked the rest of the way to work, and that was the end of the 1972 Pontiac Le Mans. <sighs> did, did you own and, the, and the car? And that poor girl's worst date ever. Did you actually own Did they ever contact you about the car getting towed or anything? We're late. Um, the car was given to me by a coworker because it was her grandmother's car and she said look this car it, it hadn't run in years if you if you can get this thing started she'll give it to you so i went over and so you never exchanged titles never exchanged titles so about three months later i get a phone call from this girl that gave me the car and said hey whatever happened to that Le Mans? i go um why well they've been calling my grandma it's been at the pound for three months and like the the bill on it's like six grand <laughs> <laughs> and i said i don't know what to tell you I have just them, I, have them keep the car. I left it somewhere. Uh, I would just problem. let them keep the car. She's like, "Oh, we are," but I just thought it was funny. I was just curious whatever happened to it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the story of the. We the, need photos of the, that. The Pontiac Le Mans and my night at Rat. Damn. True story. One hundred percent. The ticket. Here we are today on yet another day, where our country has a uh, bleeding wound. It appears, and it's. I don't know. In the 15 years we've worked together, I feel like we've done more and more and more of these days. And uh, I was listening to Dan and Jake and Danny earlier, and I heard their conversation. And I'll be honest with you. I made a run sheet today for the show about 1 o'clock, and I kind of went back to my normal, man, people don't want to do deal with this. People don't want to hear it from us, and people blah, blah, blah. And... That's my default setting. I'll be honest. I've been doing radio in some form or fashion for 30, you know, almost 30 years, which is very ridiculous. It also means I'm getting old. Uh, and one of my first gigs, Danny, was uh, the summer of 94. The first couple weeks on the air, Danny, I'm doing a show for the first time for money. I'm on the air, and the OJ chase is happening. And I'm doing a sports talk show, 
And I felt like that was outside of my purview. I just thought, you know what? People don't want to deal with this. People don't want to hear it from me. I'll let the news department handle this, and I'll talk about batting averages and uh, ERAs (laughs) and uh, mock drafts or whatever. And the older you get, the more comfortable you get in just kind of taking care of your own personal situation and stay in your lane, bro, because that's how we're all comfortable. And I want to congratulate noon to three because I thought they had a great conversation and I thought more than anything, it just maybe took a, uh, one of our young talents here at the station, Jake, to kind of influence me to say, man, you got a platform. You got to, you know, don't be one of these guys that just worries about your own situation. And I I know that wasn't his message, but that's what I heard. I don't think it's a lot about that. We wrestle with that also because we have a unique situation on this radio station where we uh, – we have the meatheads on Friday at 10.50, and we decided that, no, you know what, maybe today is not today. And then now do you just replace it with another sports segment, or do you try to tackle what's happening in the world today? And You guys did it too, Yeah, huh? I honestly went you. back and forth, and I was had the mindset that you just did about, well, man, I just kind of keep this to myself. Of course, I will talk about this with my wife all yeah, the time. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we all – discuss the issues and all that, but do we bring it here? Because sometimes a lot of people feel this – about our station as a uh, a release from everything that's going on. And they want to have fun and they want to talk with their friends and be entertained. And then on the other side is this is so huge that even if you're around your other friends, this topic and this discussion will probably come up. So that's where you have to try to, try to weigh the pros and cons of everything. So, yeah, we did tackle this at uh, 1050 today. Yeah, it feels... One of the big moments in our station's history was how we handled 9-11. And I think one of the reasons that resonated so well is everyone kind of felt the same way about the situation. And so it didn't feel polarizing. It felt uniting. The political division didn't happen until much afterwards. Right, but even then, it was us versus them, right? This is more us versus us, and that no one wants to hear that, man. That's the uncomfortable thing at Thanksgiving dinner that we just wish they would just shut up so we could get back to our pie and uh, and actually act like we like each other for a couple hours on the, on a holiday. And I don't know when I when I see this, I I, I I'm certainly not someone who uh, who feels like I have any answers, but I also am smart enough to know that a lot of people I love are greatly affected by this on a day-to-day basis. And for me to sit here in my very blessed life and say, that's someone else's problem. Let someone else deal with it. I guess 47 years has helped me realize how dumb that is and how ignorant it is and how unproductive is probably the right word. It's just un, it's well and, and I'm it's not, uncomfortable it, and people don't like being in un, some people don't like being in uncomfortable positions to have to maybe say something 
that may rile someone else up. And we do have the platform of a lot of people listening in. And there will be a lot of people who won't agree with what you say and a lot of people who won't agree with what I say or Danny when you get in situations like this. So that that's not a I don't think you could couch that as being selfish. That's just human nature, man. You just OK, you know what? I, I would like to have everyone just take your mind off of it and entertain and not be a part of the problem. When some people may consider you a part of the problem, whether you are or not. Yeah. So, obviously, to have that preface, you actually have to have a message. And the message is is simply, please count me amongst those who think this cannot continue in our country. This cannot stand. If you're wondering, you know, how come this guy or this guy, or these people haven't said a word about this. Allow us on some level, and I'm not going to speak for the whole radio station, but I'm sure as heck uh, feeling like I need to speak for myself. It's just so flat maddening how many incidents, especially involving people of color, and our hired officials, our first responders, you know, just, I, look, I come from a cop family. I I mean, I'm married into one, and at any given holiday, there might be a double-digit law enforcement, you know, in that house. So I absolutely appreciate, you know, their job and the difficulties of their job, but, man, this country has to heal on this topic of of just uh i mean honestly how about this colin kaepernick's message is righteous and i've never said that on the air it needs to be said and it needs to be said by me his message was a righteous message and his message was squelched Partly because I didn't want to hear it so either. So what you've seen, the I last... wanted to, you know, save the football for football. That's on me too. Well, that's then that's the problem. Yeah, and Jake brought this up because that message was not allowed to be heard. Then you're getting the message of what you've seen in downtown Minneapolis. The last absolutely, three nights. and and you have other things that will make you will cloud your judgment about that message because he did it during the national anthem. The message wasn't received. It was oh he's disrespecting the flag, so he shouldn't work anything. He should be blackballed because he's disrespecting the flag. Yeah, and that wasn't the message. And that's just basically that message is throwing a butterfly in front of a dog because that's what. People wanted right. to see at that particular and time. And you want him to stay in his lane because he's a football player, so just play football and entertain just, us and shut up. like you need to stay in your lane and talk sports, right. Bob. Yeah. Right, Yeah. And, it, and it's... The handle sports, Sturm. And, and yeah. Not and, world affairs, Well, and, 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 and obviously the, uh, the thing that happens is then we all have kids and we raise them, but we don't want to talk about these things. And we certainly don't want to take a stand against our, you know, our parents... Because that's what we're doing, right? When we teach our kids to help change the world, what are we doing in effect? We're often telling them, you know, my parents didn't change me enough on this particular issue that continues to be a virus in our country. 
and and I need to do more with my kids so that my kids are absolutely part of the solution and not part of the problem. I know. And if enough of us do that, maybe this thing starts to move just a tad. And I think a lot of people are doing that. And now we're seeing the instances of the people who aren't because everyone has an HD camera in their pocket. And while that is uh, sometimes we feel is a bad thing, is a good thing because those things are coming to light. And I know we're going to come back to this yes. uh, later on, but I have severely had to check myself here recently because of the way you're talking about growing up. And my situation is massively different than yours, whether we all want to admit it or not. Absolutely. As far as my parents and grandparents being a part of time to where everything was just so out front as far as, hey, I don't like you because of the way you look. And I'm going to tell you and there's nothing you can do about it to that kind of clouding my judgment about how the world is now. Yeah. And I'm seriously have had to check myself by that because it almost makes me feel like a little naive. Oh my gosh, the world is so much of a better place and take those glasses off to say, wow, we are really still challenged in this nation and it is spreading. It's not stopping, even though everything is out of out front and you see everything that's happening when it comes to uh, the case in Georgia and the lady in central park and now in Minneapolis to where we see it, and you think that would make things get better, and things are somehow getting worse, yeah. even when it's out there, when it's floating on nah, top of the water. because now it's uh, two sides. I'm part of two groups that could absolutely change this. Absolutely. It's affluent white people, and it's Christians. We, you know, and I'm not saying anyone listening is part of both groups, but I am. Mm-hmm. And if we would stop hiding from this issue, man, the whole thing moves. The whole thing changes if affluent white people and Christians, by the way, those that Venn diagram intersects really well. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say. If we that, could handle our racial business, this whole thing changes, man. I mean, that's that's what it is, right? That's the holdup. People that claim Christ, people that claim God, can't get past the racial walls, man. But there are a lot of people who claim Christ that are on that other side and use that as a veil for doing what they're doing. And it makes me so profoundly sad. And how do I handle it? I just shut up and do something else because it's, you know, in, in, in reality, then I'm part of the problem if I just deal with it that way. The ticket. Well, I always like to keep everybody... Up to speed when we find something interesting going on in the world of real estate. This especially applies to you, Corby. You are a real estate maven. Yes, I am. I think that you, you always say that you would have your second calling would have been to teach eighth grade history. Yeah. I think you would have been a fine Century 21 real estate agent. Yeah, maybe so. I run a little high end, though, generally, for yeah, most. You only go after like the. 10,000 square foot plus, 20 million plus property. And that's what we have for you all today. Because this is back up for sale, this property is. It was on sale three years ago. They have lowered the price. So this could be a bargain for you. Now, I know you're also spending a little time these days wondering about where you're going to wind up when all of this is over. I like and to put it where I'm going to die. 
Yeah. Where you're going to die. <laughs> well, I don't know if this guy died here, but he lived here. And during his oh. time of prominence, this was quite well-known, a quite well-known place. Is this the Wilt Chamberlain home? No, this is not the Wilt Chamberlain home, but you're close. Milt Chamberlain? No, not Milt Chamberlain. <laughs> you said he was close. Milt. He's kind of close. This is San Clemente. Who comes to mind when I say those words? Sam Clemente? San. Oh, San Clemente. Clemente. Doesn't have anything to do with the great Roberto Clemente, so let's dispense with that. Is it a sports guy? No. Is it it a music guy? It is not. This was known as the Western White House owned by Richard Nixon. Oh, really? Really? Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes, San Clemente is right on the coast. I believe it's a little bit more San Diego than Los Angeles. That's where he would vacation, right? That's where he would vacation. It's, I was thinking about this with presidents because there were some, you know, usually they were in the White House or they were at Camp David mm-hmm. or they were traveling somewhere else. But as far as places they had, I can't think of that many who had places that were unique to them. Now, around here, when LBJ was in office, there was the LB, LBJ mansion down in Johnson City, which still stands today and used to be a big, you know, vacation and go see point, you know, if you were down that down that part of the world. And I don't know how much time he actually spent there while he was in office though. But there have been some others, a few who had places like this, but with Nixon it was pretty well known. He was either at Camp David and the White House or he was here at San Clemente. Um, This uh, is a walled estate, Corby. It sits in a gated enclave. Enclave? Enclave. (laughs) Enclave. You're doing great. Thank you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) One of the smartest linguistic people that I know just got enclave wrong. Enclave? Yeah, enclave. (laughs) All right, I got my syllables mixed up. You're doing great, seriously. Um, it overlooks the ocean. It's a <laughs> down below is a popular surfing spot. Now you're kind of into that, aren't you? I'm a well-known surfer. Um, it's got 450 feet, almost five and a half acres, you're 450 feet of beachfront property. You're a butt surfer. Um, it Good is one. a Spanish colonial revival style main residence with a two bedroom guest house. You're going to need one of those. Of course. I need guests. Where are the servants' quarters? Because he's definitely going to no, need those. Oh, he's definitely going to need those, too. Well, multiple that. staff residences. Oh, good. So that's there you the go. Up, that's the updated, you know, that's yeah, what they call it now. The more correct yes. terminology. But we all know that they are servants', servants quarters. quarters. Mm-hmm. And we also all know that he will need those. Mm-hmm. Servants. It has a greenhouse, a swimming pool, a tennis court. Oh, game on. Yeah. And it's in California, so maybe you could turn your greenhouse into a grow house. (laughs) (laughs) And a pool. Look, 5-0 just showed up here. I don't want to be talking about weed or anything. 
I didn't say we. Well, he's looking at you now. Oh, Look, God. he's writing your he name is. down. I'm looking at him. It was him, sir. Not us. <laughs> him. It also has formal gardens and large expanses of lawn. Now, you realize what could be done with those? Side yards? Putting greens. Putting greens. How about that? You never have to leave. Yeah. 9,000 square feet for the main house. It was built in 1926. It features tile and hardwood flooring, arched doorways, and groin vaulted ceilings. Groin? Groin. What's that mean? I don't know. Like spelled like groin? Yes. I assume it's pronounced the same way, but I'm not sure of that. Is that part of the enclave? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> is it capitalized? No. Huh. I don't know. It has an ocean view office, which was used by Nixon, and a master suite with an expanded bedroom and closet area. Rooms open to a courtyard with a tiled fountain. Man, where did he get his money? He was a lawyer. He was so hooked up, it's not even funny. Like, did he? So he was a law talking guy, like an active yeah. lawyer before he did any of the politics? Politics stuff. He did politics for a long time. Yeah, he was a really very long time, but he was an attorney before. I'm sure he was quite wealthy mm-hmm. by the time he got. He into might have that. been born into it. Are there any poor presidents? Like, are there any presidents that come from poor stock? Wrong. Not anymore. Like a hobo. <laughs> well, Obama, he didn't have a lot of money, did he? They lived in Hawaii, if you believe that. What about Clinton? Well, all the, by, the, by the time these guys run for president, they've all had successful business dealings. And they're all pretty well off. But as far as coming from it, I don't know if Clinton did necessarily. And I don't know if Obama did either necessarily. Yeah. But, I mean, they could have, but I just don't know. I mean, you have to have a moneyed profession leading into running for president, you know? Yeah. yeah. The you, average spare guy you're not just gonna be can't a, Yeah, you can't go, go do it. greeter to Walmart and start a campaign. He has hosted Japanese premieres, South Vietnamese presidents, and many celebrities such as Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, and Cesar Romero. <laughs> Cesar Romero? Isn't that the the juggler or the, I don't the know, cat burglar? What was I his, think so. What was his name in Batman? The Joker. The Joker. Yeah, the Joker. Not the juggler. The juggler? 